This is Healthy Business with Dr. Charles Moak. Learn how to help transform your business into a wildly profitable, well-oiled machine. Start practicing healthcare that not only benefits your patients and your community, but grows your business. I'm Cam Carmen, and today Dr. Moak and I are talking about his belief in business coaching and how he's used coaches and how he uses his knowledge to coach others. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Cam. So, I mean, coaching is the new management. I think there was a time when we had workers, people who were working in, say, agriculture or industry, where we treated them almost like machines, where they would do one specific task. Classic thing would be that they do auto manufacturing. And there'd be several layers of leadership between the head of the company and the frontline workers because there needed to be a way to disseminate information to the people on the line. And we didn't have much technology then, and we didn't have really knowledge-based workers, so we had to have multiple layers of management. And we said at one time, if it was true or not, but before the bankruptcy, that GM had like 17 layers of management between the top of the company and the people building the cars. And they've since flattened that to be more efficient, more agile. And we're realizing now that in our business, we're in medical practice, we hire people for their brains, pretty smart. And if we tell them what needs to be done, instead of what they need to do, they can figure it out, but they do need some coaching. And I think coaching is what we're going to see is replacing management because management is telling people what to do. And coaching is giving them help on how to figure it out on their own. And you said that I did coaches myself. I was really didn't know how incompetent I was in business until we had a period where we lost money. We'd grown in and lost money. I didn't understand why. So I started getting business coaches, marketing coaches, business coaches, and entrepreneurial coaches, people who coach my head, and even a mindfulness coach. And the amount of growing I did during that time, I still use coaches all the time. The amount of growing I had was phenomenal because I was able to get some input from people that had expertise in one particular area. You look at the top athletes, they might have coaches for different parts of their game. Mm-hmm. And I needed it for my head and for my well-being and for, you know, I might get a coach for athletics, for working out. And when we're coaching our teams, we decided that our company does not like to have bosses. We have intelligent ladies and gentlemen here, but they do need coaching, which is regular checking with somebody that they can talk to, they can help them solve their own problems. And one of my favorite books, The Coaching Habit, it talks about answering questions with a question. You know, what do you think? Hmm. What do you do next? The best coaches do that. They don't only have the knowledge base because my coaches are not doctors. They're not in medical practices. And maybe they've only coached their whole career, but they know how to ask the right questions to make me think about what I should be doing. And when we look at coaching as a matter of running a business, we find that if we tie people up who are going to be leading the company in the future with somebody currently that's running the company now, they can coach them and kind of coach a new generation of leaders. Then we look at even practices that we've bought or acquired or integrated into our practice. We had to do a lot of coaching with them to bring our systems in place. But just recently in the past year, we decided we we're going to start coaching some businesses that we don't own and see if we can get the same outcome as we did if we had bought them and put the resources in place. So we picked two successful businesses, one in New York and one in Tennessee. And the New York one is kind of starting. So I don't know the outcome yet. They're already having some changes. I don't have any metrics. I've met with them. They feel they're actually getting more productive now, more people into production. But the one in Tennessee, we've been coaching since about September, October. And with no additional resources, no marketing, additional people, we've helped them increase their production by 300%. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Huh which was already a successful business, but now they're wildly successful. And the doctor can kind of rest a little easier knowing that his office is going to be able to continue to survive and thrive. Whereas single 
physician offices now, they're kind of on an island of their own. Most people are being brought up by hospitals or private equity firms. So people are on their own. There's so much complexity. They just don't know what else is out there. And by coaching them, because we have a big company, we can spare their coaches. By coaching them, we can help them create more success. And I think going forward, that's something that we kind of, and we don't charge for it. We just do it. I think eventually we might have figured out a way to monetize it. But right now we're just trying to see, can we double or triple a business without buying it? Because one of our goals, our main mission is to save healthcare. There might be some service lines that we don't really want to enter because they don't have the knowledge base, but can we coach them into success? And these two companies that we're coaching, they have stuff to, to do that's like ours, but for the most part, they're different kind of practices. And I think it could be with anything. You know, I remember I was talking to a company that brought out a group of ophthalmologist practices, 25 ophthalmologists by a private equity firm. And I was talking to the CEO of the private equity firm. He goes, oh, the problem is that he's got his ophthalmologist, MDs or eye doctors, doing like eye exams because they don't want the optometrist still because they feel like it's treading underwater. They won't use physician assistance. I was talking about how to like coach them and kind of if it's a non-doctor, you have a hard time coaching doctors perhaps. But he goes, you know, Dr. Moke, you have it easy because you can get your staff aligned behind the idea of saving healthcare. You want to save 10 billion a year because you're going to wipe out venous stasis ulcers. And this is ophthalmology, you're not saving anything. I said, you know, it's interesting to say that because in November of 2018, I think it was in the Lancet, one of the British journals, they showed that if somebody had cataracts, and the cataracts were removed, the rate of neurocognitive decline, the rate of brain decline, slowed down substantially. So putting in hearing aids and taking out the cataracts actually makes people live independent longer. That's actually a massive, massive impact on healthcare. Mm-hmm. And he can't get his doctors to do cataracts to do an eye exam. So what's better, one or two, A or B? So if they had this mindset of instead of scarcity, that I don't want to give up my eyeglass business to the eyeglass doctors, and focus on doing the eye surgery, they can actually have a bigger impact on healthcare. And that's part of what coaching is. I would explain, and I never really coached them, but I would explain to them, hey, look, your job as a doctor is to save healthcare. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Knock it off with the glasses. And there's <laughs> other people that can do that. They were trained to do it. They can do it just as good or better than you. And you might think you're preserving this to your own business, but most people probably are happy getting their glasses at a glasses store. So it kind of permeates anything. We have... One of our employees has been with us a long time, is developing a formal coaching program. And for every region we have, they do have an official coach that works with them. And the coaches don't know how to do the business better than a current doctor. The doctor in Tennessee, his coach is, is a lady that's 25. And she was like a recruiter, but she understood our business models and she was trained on how to coach. That could be wrong with her. She's my daughter's roommate. So I think she's, they're about the same age. She was a young lady coaching a man in the 60s on how to run a business. Wow. Okay. And it was just really basic stuff. What she recognized was that they didn't really work very well as a team. They worked as individual specialists. So instead of working on all these other things that we can do to grow the business, she worked on them basically gaining more time by learning each other's jobs a little bit better. And you didn't have to be an expert in vascular surgery to do that, to understand what teamwork is. You can just have worked in a highly effective team. So coaching will replace management. We use technology to track things versus managers. We use coaches to get people to use their own brain rather than tell them what to do. How do you determine what regions of the country you would be most suited for? Right now, since our main goal is wiping out venous stasis ulcers or wound care, we pulled the claims data for doctors in North America. We know what they're doing. And most people are doing the old-fashioned stuff invented in the 1800s called unaboots and stuff like that. So a venous stasis ulcer, something just basically gets a hole in their skin because their veins aren't working properly. And it's a very easy way to fix it. But there's a mass of billions of dollars in the wound care market and they keep going into wound care and they're patient for the rest of their life. So sort of, we just find out where they're doing that at. And then we look at other things like, can we get there easily? Is there office within a few hundred miles? 
what are the laws for what's called corporate practice of medicine? Do I need to get a license there to own a business? So there's a few steps. But right now we're doing it more on this opportunity city cities that are underpenetrated. Pretty much any city that's dominated by a hospital, hospital systems typically don't allow innovative thinking to occur. So they're really easy for us. And then we go directly to the consumers and let them know that we're there. You've told me you read two books a week. What are they mainly business books or are they coaching books or a blend of both? Business books. So some psychology, but business books. And two books a week is kind of a relative number because some books are big. And right. I pulled out one of Tim Ferriss' books. I'm like, okay, this is not going to happen. It's like, you know, a thousand pages long. Right now I'm reading a book called Kill the Business. And the concept is that if you were to kill your business off, your competitor, what would you do? And I just finished reading a book on culture called What You Do Is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz. Sometimes I wonder, do I, do I read them too fast? But, you know, one of my coaches, Cameron Harold, says, you shouldn't be reading that much. You're not going to absorb it. But actually, I reread books. Oh, my. And then when I reread a book, I just reread a fantastic book recently. And I was like, I got so much more out of it. One of my coaches, Vern Harnish, he's a very famous coach in the entrepreneurial world. I read his book four times. And <laughs> I was in a meeting with him. I go, you know, Vern, every time I read your book, you get a little bit smarter. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Read stuff. It's right. interesting. I read my original version that I had highlighted all the stuff that I've already fixed in our business. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff I didn't highlight were things I couldn't even grasp at the time, but I can now. I was more sophisticated. Mm-hmm. So rereading books is actually a little faster. Uh, I'm thinking about, there's actually a brain coach, Jonathan Levy, where he coaches you how to learn faster, make your brain superhuman. And I've been trying to practice some of those things because my verbal memory is kind of poor. I don't really remember people's names very well, but I know there's ways you can train yourself. Mm-hmm. And he teaches how to read faster, which I've been using those techniques. And it's kind of unpleasant, you know, but it works. That would work for almost anyone, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about your staff and how you do extensive coaching with them. Are you actually doing the coaching or do you send them to your coaches? How does that work? Great question. So I do one-on-one coaching on an ad hoc basis with my team members when they request it. I'm definitely not good at doing like an official formal coaching with anybody. So my team will come to me for coaching for certain things, but I'm probably not a good coach. And I realized that that was actually one of my weaknesses is that I'm very poor at training and I can innovate very well. I can take complex things and make them simple. And I can even develop learning tools so people can learn from them. I'm horrible at training. I'm sort of impatient. I mean, I remember I was talking to one of our doctors, Dr. Pesta. He's a fantastic surgeon. And it was a new surgery he was going to do with me called a Lejeure Mastopexy. And I go, well, just read this book three times and then we'll do it tomorrow. And he was like, I don't learn that way. Like, well, I do. Okay. Right. And the next day we're doing the surgery. And of course, he's a competent surgeon. He's done this kind of surgery. It's a little bit different. But his hands are constantly all over my side. That's how he learns. He learns by touching. He had to mm. feel it. I don't sometimes understand we all learn differently. And I recently had a perplexing problem where we had hired some consultants and some new people. And we have an outside company that's helping us with our revenue cycle where we do billing. And there's some foundational principles that were violated during that time. And I mean, it really kind of hurt our business. And I went around talking to the staff, like, why did this happen? They go, well, we know it's against our foundational principles, but we were told that this is what we're required to do. Like, but why would you do it if you know it's against our foundational principles? We were told. Well, I realized, you know, we documented our core values, what I call permission to play. If you violate them, you're fired. We would lose money to preserve them. We have our culture, which we defined, which is who we are. And our foundational principles, we all just sort of knew them. I never documented them. So Saturday, I wrote a book on our foundational principles. I finished it Saturday and I'm getting it edited this week and published next month. Well, I was really good at that. I could actually, you know, write a book in a reasonable amount of time on something that we really understand. And I could do little videos on it and explain it. 
But actually doing training on it or making a process or coaching is definitely my weakness. But I need no good coaches because I have them, but I would never be that person doing it. Well, obviously you are a very smart businessman and I appreciate your time today and for you giving us your perspective. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Healthy Business. We'll see you next time.